let me quickly remind you as to what we've looked at. If we're going to get to the heart of our communication struggles, I've said we need to do two things. The first one is we need to take our words, our communication, as seriously as God takes it. That's the first thing. How seriously does God take it? Well, communication, the ability to speak and to receive communication, is a gift. And so it should be taken seriously because we have been so made, so designed, that we intuitively learn how to communicate and how to receive communication. Your children are amazing communicators, and you're amazed at how they learn to do that. They pick the stuff up that they hear you say, oh, no. You know, and you go, where'd they get that? Our little Annie had, had a word she, she, when she got mad, which was often. And she would say, pump. And to this day, I don't think we know where that came from. I don't say pump. You don't say pump. But Annie had her own little swear word. And she, and she learned it very early on. Kids are able to do this. And so intuitively, we're able to communicate. We were made to be communicators and to be communicated too. It's a gift. But not just a gift in the abstract. It's a gift from God. And so that ups the ante because what God gives, God designs for his purposes. And so the gift of communication is a purposeful gift. God has given us this ability to be used as intended for his purposes, to receive his revelation, for instance. God made Adam and Eve with the ability to hear the voice of God and to understand it. And so when God spoke to them, in minute one, and said, be fruitful and multiply, they were able to understand what God said because they were made to receive that. It's, per it's a purposeful gift. God gives us the gift to receive his communication, to praise him with our lips, to communicate his truth to our children and to others. It's a gift that is purposeful. It is to be used as intended. So if we're going to get to the heart of our communication struggles, we've got to take it as seriously as God does. It is a gift from God that has purpose attached to it, but it also is moral. Our words are moral then because they come from God, because they are to be used for God's purposes. Our words are moral. Words are sacred. As I said a couple of weeks ago when we started, our words carry moral freight. The stuff that comes out of your mouth and comes out of my mouth is heard by God and is either used for God or detracts from the glory of God. Moral. Now, you just think for a minute. Don't think too long because you'll get depressed. But just think for a minute about how you use your words. And think about them having moral baggage. And think about God hearing them. And think about the fact that they were made to be used for his purpose. And Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 to 36, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you will be judged, Jesus says in that passage, by every idle word that is spoken. Well, that changes the ballgame a bit, doesn't it? So if we're going to get to the heart of our communication struggles, we have to take it as seriously as God takes it. 
And that's how seriously God takes it because it's his gift for his purposes. It has this moral freight attached to it. And therefore, my heart is being revealed when I speak. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So now that starts to get to some things we've got to do if we're going to take it as seriously as God takes it. Because my heart is being exposed and revealed as I speak. It means I've got to be careful what I allow into my heart. That's one of the first things you've got to do. Censor the messages that you receive. Because they bury themselves in your heart. And they come out in your words and my words. Now, it wouldn't matter what came in if I had a really cool filter for my heart. I mean, just think about a whiz-bang, all-purpose, water-purifying filter. I don't know if there is such a thing, but just suppose there were a water filter that could filter out every, absolutely every impurity that comes through your water. I know there are filters that purify. I know they get a lot of junk out of the water. But I don't know whether they get it all, but just assume it could get it all. If your heart was like that, we'd be good to go. Wouldn't matter what came in. It all gets filtered. But the problem is your heart is a lousy filter. And my heart is a lousy filter. And so the stuff that comes in gets embedded. My heart is impure, and when I allow impurity into my heart, it tends to stay there, and it tends to come out in my words, that all being true, and it is true. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it, says Jeremiah. Your heart and my heart, even after coming to Jesus and having transformed hearts, we still struggle with sin, and our hearts still gravitate towards sin. So the first thing you've got to do I have said these last couple of weeks, if you're going to take it as seriously as God does, is you have to censor what comes in. You have to be careful about what comes in. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, the eye is the lamp of the body. You know, you take stuff into your, through your eyes. And, and you have a hard time shaking what you've seen. Men are particularly more visual than women are when it comes to things like sexual lust. It's the reason at the beginning of the summer every year I do a little session called Purity, Every Man's Battle. And men could testify. Some of the images that you have seen are hard for you to shake. Much better had you never seen them. Right? Much less see more of them. Okay, you've seen them. Okay, we're stuck with the struggle. We'll, we'll, we'll work on it. But don't add to it. The eye is the lamp of the body. Censor what comes in to your heart. Your heart is not a good filter. My heart is not a good filter. That's the first thing. The second thing we've got to do is take responsibility for our words. Before I go on to take responsibility, excuse me, I forgot one other thing. As we censor what comes in, uh, one of the reasons we need to do that is these images stay with us, particularly with men. 
but also because what comes in can create false expectations for us that make us discontent with our circumstances, with our spouse, with our children. Be careful about allowing soaps, serial TV shows, movies to create discontent within you. Infomercials, for heaven's sake. The mall. The mall is designed to create discontent. You know that, don't you? You're supposed to go in, and you've heard me say this, they have mirrors strategically placed throughout the mall to let you know how bad you look. You thought you looked okay when you went in, but you come out feeling horrible. You realize that you need to lose weight. You realize that your stuff doesn't fit. You realize that the people all working in the stores look better than you do. That's all by design to make you discontent. And it creates then expectations for yourself and for others that can create trouble. You all have heard me say this before. Expectations minus reality equals trouble. And you often can't change reality. I mean, sometimes you can. Sometimes you can change your circumstance, but sometimes it's outside your control. What you can change and calibrate are your expectations. But one of the ways you have to manage those expectations is by being careful about what you allow in because it's designed to create discontent and unbiblical expectations. Then secondly, take responsibility for your words. If they carry moral freight, if our words are moral, if our words are sacred, if we'll give an account to God for how we use them, we've got to take responsibility for them. And God is very clear about how I do that when, not if, I sin against another in the way I use my words, by its tone, by the actual words I use, by their intent, whether deceitful or whatever it is. When, not if, I sin against someone in the use of my words, I take responsibility for that. That means I confess. No weasel words. Straight up, I said this, it was wrong, will you forgive me? And if you would practice that, mom and dad, and teach your kids to practice that, it would be biblical first, and it would be very helpful as well. So if you don't practice that, you need to. And if you've never said that to your spouse or to your children, I said this or did this, I had this tone, I ask you to forgive me, then God commands you to do that. When you sin against someone, you go to them and you seek forgiveness. And then that forgiveness is granted and it's a promise never to bring it up again, not to dwell on it. It doesn't mean I necessarily feel good about you. I still may be very ticked at what you said. I may be very ticked that it took you 20 years to come and ask for forgiveness for it. But nonetheless, if I grant forgiveness, which I must according to the Bible, then it is a commitment not to dwell on it, not to bring it up anymore. And so we censor what comes in. We take responsibility. Here's the third thing. We see our communication as essential to loving another person. See your communication as essential to love. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's a biblical definition of love. Love is doing what is in the best interests of another. Nice and succinct, covers the basis. Notice I have no feeling in there. Love is first and foremost a choice to give yourself for the sake and benefit of another. 
Feelings flow from that. But love is not first feelings contrary to our entire culture. God loved in this manner. God so loved the world. God loved the world like so. That's what John 3.16 is saying. Like this. And how did he love the world? He did what? He, he gave. Not he thought you were cute. Not he got a warm and fuzzy. Not he felt. He gave. Love is doing what is in the best interest of another. Now, I am saying that the third thing you've got to do if you're going to take communication as seriously as God does is to see, love as, to see communication as essential to loving somebody. Love is doing what's in the best interest of another. And here's the question. How do I know? How do I know what's in your best interest? Guess what? I've got to communicate with you. I've got to learn what you need. Father's Day, last week, we saw from 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, husbands are to love their wives. They're to dwell with them, live with them in a considerate way. They, they're to consider their wives. The King James says, dwell with them according to knowledge. That is, get to know your wives. Why? Because I can't love my wife, do what's in her best interest, until I know what she needs and then give myself to meeting those needs. Communication is essential then to loving somebody. Now let's, I think you all buy that. Now I'll reverse that. If I fail to communicate, what does it mean I'm doing? I'm failing to love someone. Well, that, that now puts it in the serious category it needs to be placed. If I fail to communicate, I'm failing to love. So, when my nephews lived at home with us, we had them from grade six through, through their high school years. And when they get into high school, one of, uh, uh, I heard a parent say, whose kids are now grown, says, said, when kids become teenagers, they go into what he called the black hole. And then, you know, hopefully at age 19 or 20, they come out the other side of the black hole. Well, I'm the guardian of the black hole at my house. You ain't going in that black hole. And so the nephews start to go in the black hole, which is withdraw into themselves. When they come into the house, they don't say anything to anybody. And we have a talk in grade six that says this. Listen, when you walk into a room, there are all sorts of things in that room. See the TV? There's a TV there. There's an end table. There's a couch. Those all have something in common. They're inanimate stuff. It's okay with me if you walk into a room with a couch, TV, and end table and say nothing to any of them. But if that room with the couch and the end table and the TV also has a human being, now you say something. Hello. How are you? You speak. You know why? Forgive the grammar, because I ain't a piece of furniture. And when you walk into a room and you say nothing, you're treating me the same way you treat the stuff. So that's not going to happen. 
parents, you're the guardians of the black hole. And it should not happen in your house. And you treat your, teach your children that very early on. When they see someone, they speak to them. And they seek to know them. Because communication is essential to loving somebody. Now those great theologians, super tramp, heard this particular message apparently. Because they have a song called uh, The Long Way Home. And you take the long way home. But one of the lines in it is, and your wife seems to think you're part of the furniture. And because everything has broken down in your life, including all your relationships, you start to take the long way home. Don't want to go there. Nobody who cares about me there. No love there. So I'll see if I can find some elsewhere. Take the long way. Man, I am here to tell you that the times that I have had windows into the communication of Christian homes, it, it scares and saddens me. The way professing Christian people talk to each other. Tone. I mean, I've had occasion to <laughs> have people have their cell phone on on speaker, I think, without knowing it. I hope without knowing it. And they're talking with their spouse, and I'm within earshot. And I'm going, wow. That's the way you talk to each other? You think, husband, wife, you think about how you talk to each other. Communication is essential to loving someone. It's designed by God to be a vehicle whereby we get to know Him and we get to know others and demonstrate His love in the life of others. I get to know you, know where you're coming from, know what you need, know what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And now I'm abusing this gift by talking in a harsh, unkind, shrill tone on a regular basis. I'm going to move off this in a minute. But I'm dwelling here for a bit because there are people right now, here, right now, some of you struggle with that regularly. And you talk in an unkind way to image bearers of God who have been placed in your circle of influence to be loved by you, to use the gift of your tongue to get to know them, to meet their needs, to do what's in their best interest, and you talk in an unkind way to them. And you've been doing it for years. It's habitual. The first thing that comes out of your mouth is, you did what? When anything goes wrong, you What? I can't believe you. You always. You always. Which is a big fat lie. You know, you all have heard me say, you never say, you never, or you always. Because if there's one exception to either, you're a liar now. But if anything, any little thing doesn't go the way you want it to do, it's shoot back. 
And it's wrong. It's sinful. It's before the face of God. It's failing to love people and use the communication skills that God has given you to love them. Now, I'm trying to drill this home because if our families do not get a handle on this, it will continue to erode the relationship, the context in which that love of God is to be expressed. And so if you're doing that, what's the remedy? How do you start on a new path? I'm asking you. How do you start on a new path? You do what I said in number two. Does anybody remember what number two is? Take responsibility for your words. Wife, talk to your husband today. And say, God has taught me that this is the way I've been speaking to you. And I've not been loving you with my words. And I ask him to forgive me and I'm asking you to forgive me. And by God's grace, I want to use this gift to love him and to love you. Husbands, take the lead. Take the initiative. Don't excuse it. Don't say, this is just the way we do it. She knows I don't mean it. She's gotten used to it. That's what she knows I don't mean it means. She's gotten used to it. She knows you're a crumb who's going to use crummy words. And she's gotten used to it. If you're doing it, it's before the face of God. God hears every word, and we will be judged by every idle word. And he's given it to us as a means to love other people. And if I don't use it that way, I'm not loving them. We good? Here's a fourth thing. If we're going to take this as seriously as God takes it, then we've got to teach our children very early on, to use the gift of communication and words as intended. Now that means a few things. Teach your kids then to verbalize. They don't grunt. They don't, you know, beat on a table. As soon as you're able to get words out, you now articulate what you want. When you go into a restaurant, as early as possible, your kid orders for his or herself. I'm recommending this to you. I'm telling you. Our girls started ordering for themselves very early on. Tell the man, tell the woman what you're having. Look them in the eye and tell them. How many times have you seen a kid, 8, 9, 10, 12 they're sitting next to mom and dad and they're whispering to mom and dad. Mom and dad now have to, what is up with that? The waiter's only three feet away. So don't tell me, tell him, tell her. Teach them to verbalize. Look in the eye, talk to at every opportunity. Now I'm going to beat on the kids thing here some more. But does this make sense to any of you that, look, if God made us as communicators, he did, if that's part of the image of God in humanity, and it is, to receive his revelation, to be used for his purposes, if he's given us his revelation, his communication to us in a book, in propositional form, in a book, with nouns and verbs and adjectives and connectors, conjunctions, 
All, all the stuff of grammar, all the stuff of communication, God wrote a book. Well, if you want the kids to be people of the book, which we're supposed to be, then learning to communicate would seem to be essential, wouldn't it? If you want them to love hearing communication and truth, then you have to cultivate that at an early age. Which now brings me to a few other suggestions for what to do with teaching your kids to communicate. If your kid sits in front of a screen many hours a day, and you bring him to church, and he has to listen to some guy yap for 45 minutes. Are you kidding me? There's supposed to be a commercial every eight minutes. You know, I can handle like those communion services because he just says, you know, a bit, and then we get to stand, we have to do something. But to just sit and listen to somebody for 30 to 45 minutes, there is no way. And then you want them to come to church, and you know, you want them to hear the truth, and you're having this struggle as you drag them through the door, and you wonder why. Well, here's part of the reason why. You've been sticking them in front of this thing that's designed to pop and dazzle and move. And now you come in and say, open a book and listen. It applies to school. And it applies to church. And we're all going to have a bad time of it if you don't get this straight early on. So you know what we do at school and at the church? Here's what we do. Well, kids can't listen, so let's do some more pop and dazzle. So here's what I can guarantee you. That thing is going to go one way. Because I'm not popping and dazzling. I'm not jumping around. I'm not entertaining. I'm none of that. You're either going to teach the kid to listen or they're going to hate me and hate our church and you'll be gone. Or you all will kick me out. That could happen too. But I'm not, I'm not entertaining. But that's pop goes the church because of that. I've got a book on my shelf. Here's the title. Generation X Goes to College. Gen X goes to college. Here's what it's about. It's about kids in Gen X who have been watching screens their whole life, and now they go to a lecture hall in college, and they're like, I cannot sit here for 50 minutes and listen to somebody. There is no way. And it's transforming the way professors have to dance and sing and all of that, and I'm not doing it. So I've got an idea. You start early teaching your kids to communicate. Take them away from these communication inhibitors like the TV. And I got a few others. Like their cell phone. And those of you that were at family camp, I get one hour at family camp to beat on the parents every year. And I use much of my one hour to talk about some of this. So, how many of you have seen the 10-year-old kid on his or her cell phone in the presence of human beings, but they're texting away to somebody who's not in the room? I'm in the room. They're not in the room. I take precedence. 
you know, it's like going into the store. You know, you go into the store, how annoyed do you get? When you go into the store, you're there, a potential customer, presumably with money or plastic in pocket. And the phone rings. And they go get the phone instead of take care of you. This guy or gal on the phone may never step foot in your store. I'm here. I'm live. You take care of me, right? If I managed the world, it would just really go much better. But I'm here in your presence, and you're texting somebody, who is that? And you've got something so important that you can ignore the people in your presence, not once, not twice, continually, hours on end. Driving in the car, first thing, you pull out your video junk or your cell phone, and there's no communication going on in the car. And I said at family camp, I said, you know, when I went on a trip when I was a kid, and our trips when I was a kid were not Disney World. They were Pikeville, Kentucky. Two weeks in Pikeville. And I had a blast. But every time we drove down to Pikeville, I threw up. Because <laughs> it was motion sickness. I'm in the back. And we didn't have minivans. And, you know, and it was just, it was awful. And so I threw up every time. On the way there, on the way back, all the way growing up. And so I am very thankful and I remind my girls of how thankful they should be that there are things like minivans, and we own one. And when we go up to family camp, you got like a little cat, your own little chair in the middle. And we got air conditioning. And there's even, you know, you can get the little flip-down thing to keep them busy for the five hours that you're driving or whatever it is. That's all, it's all good. I'm very thankful for that. But I said at family camp, I'm thankful for that for a trip. Not to go to the grocery store. So parents, you've got to start teaching your children, put the junk away. And if you don't, you're going to create the very monster that you dread. And then you'll go, what happened? Now I ask you to turn to Ephesians 6. In the family camp, we looked at this briefly. Ephesians 6, verse 4, the most perhaps direct verse in the Word of God about you know, what parents are supposed to do with kids. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Now, just stop there. When it's addressed to fathers, why is it addressed to fathers? Well, because, going back to the garden, men were made by God to lead their homes. In addressing the fathers, it's also addressing the mothers, but it's addressed directly to the fathers because the fathers are to take leadership and initiative. So fathers, you take the initiative. It involves the mothers, but you take the lead. Do not exasperate your children. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on that other than to say this. That phrase, do not exasperate, literally means do not take the wind out of their sails. That's what it means. Don't take the wind out of their sails. And I have a whole lesson I do on this about the various ways that we parents can take the wind out of the sails of our children in the way we speak to them. But then it says, do not exasperate your children, take the wind out of their sails, but bring, instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
Instead, raise them, bring them up. And that phrase, bring them up, has a number of grammatical characteristics to it in Greek. One is, it is an imperative. It's a command. Do this. You must bring them up. It's, it's a command. But it's also written in the present tense. It's a continual responsibility. It is something that you're doing all the time with your, with your children. So it's a, it's a command. It's something that Almighty God says we must do. It's also written in what's called the active voice, which means you cannot be passive about raising them, bringing them up. If, le- if our children are left to themselves, guess what direction they go? If they are naturally sinners, guess what direction they go? The wrong direction. That's why they have to be moved in the right direction, actively brought up. And how do you do this? In the training, it says, and instruction of the Lord. And the word training is the word that's translated discipline in your New Testament. It is enforced learning. It is learning with teeth in it. It involves creating habits that move in the right direction. If you're going to bring your children up in the training and discipline of the Lord, it means you're going to create habits in them that move them in the right direction. And you're going to avoid habits that move them in the wrong direction. And so at camp, I gave the illustration of training in athletics, discipline in athletics. And if a kid is just learning to play, for instance, basketball, and they are shooting like this with both hands and the elbows out, if you want to teach them proper habits, you say, if you're right-handed, get your right elbow in. Don't shoot like, get your right elbow in. And you shoot not with two hands, you shoot with one hand. And that was, a, that was all net, by the way. Because <laughs> that's the right way to do it. You say, but the kid is too small. He or she is too weak. Annie is in this situation right now. Annie wants to play basketball. We go out in the driveway. Annie's got the elbows out. She wants to shoot this way. She's compensating for her weakness. But I keep saying, you've got to shoot it this way. Her response is, but it went in this way. And then my response is, you'll get swatted every time you try to do that in a couple years. You'll get what's affectionately known as a facial. The ball will be put back in your face. And so you have to shoot it this way. And you have to learn it now. Now, why do I want her to learn it now, even when she's compensating for this lack of strength? Because it failure to do that will create what? A bad habit. That'll be hard to break training and discipline. Avoiding habits that are going to lead in the wrong direction and that are going to be hard to break. We don't have time, but 1 Timothy 4.7, 1 Timothy 4.7, here's what Paul wrote to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.7, train yourself to be godly. And the word training in 1 Timothy 4.7 is the Greek word gumnos. Guess what English word we get from it? Gymnasium, gym. Exercise yourself, train yourself, discipline yourself to be godly. Parents, bring them up in the training, the discipline of the Lord. And one of those disciplines is to learn to talk and to use the gift of words for the purpose for which God gave it.
And the earlier you start, the better off everybody will be. So we do four things if we take it as seriously as God does, and I've got to stop. Censor what comes in. Take responsibility for your words. See communication as essential to loving another person. Teach your kids to use their words as God intended, to learn to communicate. Now, we've got three more weeks, as you might expect. I've got some other stuff to yap about on this. I've got a little sheet that I'll hand out to you next week. Four rules of communication. Things like be honest, be clear, those kinds of things from Ephesians chapter 4. Okay? Let's thank the Lord and we'll be done. Father, thank you for allowing us this time to look at this incredibly important issue of how we speak, of how we listen, how we communicate. Lord, help our families, our parents, to be models of loving communication, godly communication. Help it, Lord, to start with us. Help our children to see that in us, moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour. May they learn it by osmosis, but also by direct communication to them, telling them what your word says in enforced learning, in habits that lead in a proper direction. Help us, Lord, to avoid those things that may seem innocuous, They may seem very innocent. They may seem very neutral. They can be very habit-forming and damaging. Grant us wisdom. Grant us discernment. Lord, grant us active minds as we give attention to what our, our young people are doing and whether or not it is helping, whether it's enhancing or detracting from where they need to go. Go with us this week, Lord, as we seek to put these principles into practice and to communicate in our homes. Communicate with words of love. Communicate with words of confession and of forgiveness. And Lord, in your sight, may the words that we speak be pleasing. And may we begin to practice this such that they become our habitual pattern going forward. We ask this and do this to your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.